mighty save. Amen.
Good morning, Haven Church. Glad you're joining with us today online. Uh, wish you were here, but again, we are on uh, week eight, I think it is, of our services. Um, and uh, we ha- we've had nine services at uh, Good Friday all online. We can't wait till we're all back together. Um, but we're going to start today. We're glad we're worshiping and connecting. If it's your first time, join us. Welcome. If it's not, welcome. Uh, glad you're joining with us again. So let's just start today by opening up in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we, we just are grateful to you that we have another day where we can come together and just worship you and just come together as the body of Christ. And so, Lord, although we may be uh, separated, we know that we are united in you. And we love you. We just want to go ahead and just worship you. We thank you that uh, yesterday with the great weather that many of us were outside shining our lights and enjoying the bask and basking in your light. Um, and uh, we're excited about today that we can just worship you and call on your name. And so God, um, may the, the songs that we sing together, um, may we just lift them up as we just, just seek who you are for us um, and just uh, who we need you to be as we, we delve further into our study of the book of James. God, just teach us what it's like to have this, uh, this vibrant faith in life and not one that's just going through the motions. And, and Lord, just for those of us who are hurting or who are struggling, um, for many this week, uh, it was just a tough week um, for personal issues, for loss of loved ones, for just continuing in this pattern of, of living that we're having right now. And God, we just pray that you'll just give us that, that, that joy of the Holy Spirit right now. And so God, the rest of this time is for you. Let us stop everything in the world and focus on one thing, and that is you. And we give you praise in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start today by another song um, from our worship team. Again, we can't wait to get them back together and worship, but here we are. I want you to just stand up, go ahead and sing um, Who You Say I Am, one of my favorite worship songs that's out there now. Let's go and worship the Lord right now.
today. We are children of the living God. We've been chosen, not forsaking. Um, isn't that good? It, good to know. Um, sometimes many of us may feel like we're locked away and totally forgotten. Again, we are continuing with our series on James Day, but first we want to lift up um, several of our prayers and prayer requests, and we have a number um, to add this week, so uh, please go ahead and, and be uh, ready to add these to your own personal prayer list and to lift others up. We want to pray for Jen Arrow and family in the passing of her father, Jim Pritchard, and so we want to lift them up in prayers during this time. For Jamie Snyder and her family in the passing of her paternal grandmother um, very suddenly, so we want to lift them definitely in your prayers. Uh, Donna Wiggum has asked for a couple prayers, one for her sister Lisa, who now has kidney stones, and we know that she's had um, several different um, issues, and we want to uh, ask for healing and prayer for her. And for uh, Bill Wiggum, as he goes off some meds to prepare his for a procedure that he is going to have on the 11th. Uh, Bobby Brickner also asks um, prayers, and, and it's a prayer request, and praise for the life of her uncle, um, Bill Carter, who died at the age of 96, uh, 96, and the fact that uh, she said his joy and faith touched so many over his decades for service to God. Uh, Carol Henson had lifted up a prayer this week for her boss Sherry and for the family of the loss of their mother, uh, Carlene Eckrode. Um, so we want to lift that family in your prayers. And we want to pray for John Sapp. Um, who is Lorraine's husband and Beth Creek's father, who is in the hospital with pneumonia. Um, so we want to continue. He, um, seems like he's doing um, better, um, but we definitely know this is a time where many of us are concerned, particularly in respiratory issues and for people who are in the hospital. But we are thankful for God's protection and healing um, with John and with the rest of the family. And so if you have any prayer requests, uh, and you're on Facebook Live, by all means, put those on there. Um, you can go to our website, havencc.org, and go ahead and add your prayer request, or you can also go ahead and email that in, and we'll be glad to get those out um, and lift those up for prayers. And um, we're just glad to do that because we are called to come together in prayer. So that's a great, great way that we, gonna, we can come together. So let's pray right now. Lord God, once again, we come to you today thanking you for um, all that you are in our lives for who you are. We want to lift up the names of Jen Arrow and family um, in the life of Jim Pritchard, also for Jamie Snyder's family and the loss of uh, a paternal grandmother, um, for the loss of a life of Bill Carter, and for uh, Carlene Eckrode, and God, for anybody else who's dealing with loss during this time. We also want to lift up those who are dealing with health issues, for Bill, for Lisa, um, and also for John Sapp. God, we know that you are a great God and that you are watching and protecting and guiding the whole entire time. And so, God, um, today we just want to continue to pray and lift up your name as we have in the last several weeks in our Unite 714 prayer. And God, Ephesians 6, 13, 14 tells us, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and after you've done everything, to stand firm and to stand. And so, Heavenly Father, for the many weeks we have been living under the constant threat of COVID-19, bombarded by bad news and sequestered in our homes, and we have faced deep concerns and even the imminent possibility of sickness and financial hardship. There have been days we have struggled to stand in faith, 
Still, by your power and grace, we rise up. We put on our spiritual armor today through the faith in Jesus Christ, and we pray against COVID-19 by the word of God and through the strength of the Holy Spirit. We resist all the effects of COVID-19 on us, our families, our churches, our cities, and nations. Lord, this virus has loomed over the nations of the world and has reached every aspect of our society. Despite these challenges, we stand before COVID-19 and declare our God is able to deliver us. So we ask, oh God, that in, by your great mercy, COVID-19 will be eradicated, that we will soon see it gone and reduced to absolutely nothing but a distant memory. So Heavenly Father, increase our faith as many of us are waning in these weeks and months. Work in our hearts and produce in us, oh God, your, your character. You've shown us your mercy and grace countless times. We are thankful and humbly ask for a refreshing and a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit on the people of this world. May countless of millions be saved and discipled as your church boldly proclaims the gospel in this critical time and hour. This is our prayer and confidence through the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, before we begin our service today, there's a couple of announcements we want to go get touched in on. Uh, again, we are starting um, our next our week, um, we're in the next week of our Book of James series, week three. And um, so again, if you missed any of those, connect uh, to some of those. Um, also, a couple things that we haven't talked about in a, in a couple weeks. Um, again, text and email updates uh, if you want to connect and do that. Please go ahead, and it's, uh, we've, we shared that when we were all together, and it's never become more important that we have those. Um, and people will tell you, you don't get bombarded, but they're great informational things and keep you updated um, by doing so. Um, again, you can also gift online giving. I do want to say thank you to everyone. At any time during the service, you can feel that um, you can give. We do have a song at the end that we allow for just um, closing worship. And also, if you'd like to go ahead and give, thank you again for your continued giving. We are able to really meet the needs of that God's called us to here and around the world. And I say that a lot, and sometimes I feel like it's rote. It's not. Um, you're, you're amazing in your giving, and I'm, I'm so proud to be a, a pastor of a church that just loves uh, God and makes a commitment to um, his ministry. So thank you again. Um, again, we still have our COVID-19 resource page online. You can connect on there, um, particularly for anyone who is um, in need. And we, I, we do also have, it's moved down a little bit because of some other announcements, but we do have our Easter survey. If you have not filled that out, I ask you personally, please fill that out so that uh, I can, uh, before we know it, we'll be in fall. And um, I'm planning the sermon series in the fall based off of your response from, from Easter. So please fill that out. We have several who've done that. Love for you to continue and go ahead and have more information that exists there. Our local mission opportunity, which we had, um, was from our partnership with Yes Youth Empowerment Source. Um, a big thank you. Uh, I know Beth at wrote uh, thank you to many community partners who made the food distribution a huge success. The volunteer drivers did a fabulous job of getting food out into the hands of those in need. Together, 
we served 102 families and 319 children. And that is amazing. So uh, thanks to uh, for the best, first of all, for, for bringing uh, a community together in these times, for meeting the needs that God has, has caused. I, I know that we are um, we're so grateful for that ministry and for that uh, reaching out into hands. And for everybody who went ahead and uh, took your time to go ahead and help make that happen, not only part of our church but in the community, uh, it just goes to show that when, people, when we see people getting selfish and thinking about self, um, it shows that the hand, the body of Christ and community is working together. So we're very excited about all those who participated there as well. Another announcement is this usually gets out a lot quicker um, in time. But, man, I don't know about you, but things crept up on me. And this year it's been a little bit different year. Um, but May 7th um, is the, the National Day of Prayer. And uh, this year... Um, they have a service, it's broadcast, uh, the National Day of Prayer message is uh, on uh, May 7th from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., and it is on their website and Facebook page, and, and you can go ahead and look that up, and we will also link, put a link there to direct you there if you want to go ahead and connect directly uh, to the National Day of Prayer site as well. And again, the prayer that we just gave from Unite 714, again, I want to ask you if you're, if you're like me and life gets busy and you kind of, kind of get in the middle of doing things. I know this is a time where colleges are, are starting to head into finals weeks. I know people are, are working and trying to figure out those who are back and, and to work and those who aren't and dealing with a lot of things. Uh, Unite 714, we will have the resources of the prayer I just read today that will be up um, for you, you can go to the COVID site, and we have that there. This will be for May 3rd through the 9th. And so please connect with that and, um, and have that prayer for this week, and we will uh, be blessed to go ahead and continue in that. All right? So a lot of different um, announcements. Uh, so it's, no matter what's going on, we are still very busy in serving the Lord. And again, I want to thank all of you for continually making the commitments to reach out to the Lord. Okay, here we go. We are once again in our uh, week uh, of the book of James. And so I'd like to draw your attention to the uh, scripture lesson, which is our scripture lesson that is our theme verse. And so let's take a look at that. Our theme verse uh, for the series is this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So James is, is writing to the, uh, the predominantly the Jewish converts. And he says, I consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. And we talked about that during week one. James is basically a, a great book. It's simplistic, but it also applies so many things. It's a blueprint for life, for a life of faith. As I've mentioned every week, some have considered it to be the Proverbs of the New Testament. It is very practical, and it is a great resource book for how to live out this thing called faith in Christ Jesus. He is, uh, the author is Jesus' half-brother. We know that, um, that Mary and Joseph had others a after Jesus. 
so it would have been his half-brother. Uh, and some, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It would be kind of hard to believe that your half-brother uh, or your older brother uh, is the Messiah. Um, until after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he became a leader in the early church. I guess if you're Jesus' brother, that brings some clout to the table um, that's there. And so he was a leader in the early church. And he, as I said, he's sharing predominantly with Jewish believers but he really is sharing for, with us here today as well, which I think it's a great book to really delve into. So what would I compare? I started thinking, what could I compare James, the book of James to for us today? It's kind of like this. Um, some of you may remember the days before we had GPSs, okay, where you had big maps and um, you would have one person in the passenger side and they were doing this or then they got smart and put them in books, but before you'd have to fold them or stopping by a gas station and buying, they had a rack full of maps and you'd have to look where you wanted to go and you'd buy that one and take it and, and read it. But then we've been blessed that we have GPSs. And I remember my first GPS, it had a suction cup and, you'd, and I think it was a Garmin um, and you'd stick it right up on the front um, and you could see and this thing would talk to you and tell you and it was amazing. You could go. But I also know that there's sometimes in life where now we have things on our phones, GPSs that we can have, and there's times where I just kind of go ahead and I know, I think I know where I'm going, and I'm too lazy to go ahead and tell Siri to go ahead and look and tell me where I'm going or look up on Google Maps. And so there's several times that we have GPS or we have areas and maps that we can get there, but we don't use them. And that's kind of like our spiritual journey. We have the Word of God. We have this book of James that kind of helps guide us about faith, kind of guide us into directions that can get us to the journey safer, quicker, less bumpy, but a lot of times we just don't use it. And so many of us are going through some struggles, but not many of us are opening up our GPS. And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at James because it's one that just kind of helps get us back on track. It helps get our lives right back to where they need to be. Um, There may have been times where we knew where we were headed, and now we're kind of in a place. We may be in a place that we don't want to be. We're like, how do we get from this point of our faith to another point in our faith? And the book of James is exactly for that. Now, our whole theme today is going to be a faith that is alive or having a vibrant, dynamic faith. And that's going to be our whole theme. And I'd say that we understand about having faith. When we talk about it, we have a lot of people who say, oh, I have faith. Yeah, oh, I have faith. And we think of faith as being this nice little thing that we have to ourselves. It's this nice little faith thing. It's, it's uh, this brief little thing that, yeah, I have faith. And we think of that verse, if you have the faith of a mustard seed. And we're like, yeah, I got a mustard seed faith. I keep it right here. And we think of those things time and time again. However, what we're going to really unpack today is faith is a belief in something that has a corresponding action. We often think of faith just as a belief But the book of James doesn't allow for us to do that. It talks about in order to truly unpack faith and to have the vibrant faith that we need, that faith is a belief in something that has a corresponding action. For instance, many of us have faith in many things. Some of us got up this morning and had faith that we're going to type in on Facebook and go to Haven page and click and there would be a video there. 
you have faith in that and you believe that. Some of us have faith that we get in and it used to be we'd put our key in the ignition and turn. Some of us have that thing you got to push now and we don't know. We, I, we don't know how it went from turning to pushing, but we have faith that it's going to work. Some of you, when it got, gets warmer, are having faith that you can hit that button and that air conditioner will start. Or some of you in the wintertime will have faith that you kick that button to heat or you push the button that it's going to kick on heat. We don't understand it fully, but we have a belief that a corresponding action is going to occur time and time again. Some of you right now got up this morning, went and sat down, and you had faith that you haven't been eating so much stuff in quarantine that the couch wasn't going to collapse on you. So you're putting faith in those things time and time again. And as you are looking up and you heard the rain early this morning, you know, we've had a lot of it and enough of it, right? Um, which makes us all happy when we see all this rain. Um, but some of you have faith that your roof is not going to cave in when the wind blows and the, wind, and the storms go. And so what we see is faith is important. It's, it's exactly what James is saying, that according to our action is how we see our belief lived out. Faith needs a corresponding action in life. In other words, it, our belief needs to manifest somewhere in our lives. Uh, there are several faith verses, and these are extra. So if you have your, uh, a pen out or a notebook or you print it off the bulletin, you can just write this in an area. What you see is, if, like there's several of these. Ephesians 2.8, and these are not in your, in your guide. These are just some extra ones you can look up later. Uh, but Ephesians 2.8 says, a sinner is saved by faith. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 says, a believer must walk by faith. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Romans 14, 25 says, whatever we do apart from faith is, they actually describe it, the writer actually describes it as sin. So faith is not just this belief, but is something that is lived out in our life. And faith is important and needs to be combined with actions. So let's look at what James chapter 2 verse 14, what James writes here when he says about this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now we're not looking at this as a salvation from your sins, but it's, he's talking about the difference between just having a faith and having a dynamic or a, an energized and alive faith that puts faith and works together. It's kind of like this. Um, I was thinking about this, and I actually saw some of these the other day. How many of you remember riding a bicycle? I'm not talking about a, 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 a bike like a motorcycle, but I'm talking about how many remember riding a bicycle? Like I got on a stationary bike um, the last couple weeks. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I know some people may be on them right now um, watching this and just and loving it. Um, hey, it's not my thing, all right? But I'll do it. I'll do it because that's where I'm down to right now in my house, all right? So, but, so, but you remember like when you would ride bikes everywhere? Like I remember as a kid right here in this town in Northeast, I would get on my bike and just ride. I would meet my friends. I mean, I would cross 40 
and I know that freaks a lot of people out. Don't worry, it was a different time. I would cross 40, and you could literally go around the world as long as you made it in by the time it was dark. You know what I mean? And it was all good. I remember my friends rode all the way down to Turkey Point, and then we called somebody with a truck to come pick us back because we were not riding back. Um, I remember just, just being on your bike day in and day out and just having fun. Uh, we were down, I was down near the park um, the other week, and I remember friends during the BMX stage. I remember there was a guy in middle school who said, watch this, and he rode his bike off the pier into the water, and we had a rope, and we'd pull it back out. Why? Yes, because we're dumb kids, but it was fun, and bikes were everywhere, everywhere. They were, just to let you know, young people, Bikes were the video games of the time, and so. Um, but bikes were bikes were fun, and we had we had a, got a lot of different places on our bikes. I remember they even had bike racks at school. I don't know if they still do, but people would ride their bikes and put on a bike lock, and you would and all these kind of things. But anyway, I was just thinking about a bicycle, how we had, and now you have. We have, and, we, and trust me, back then there was no such thing as a helmet. Um, There's no such thing as uh, elbow pads. Now, you know, we have helmets, we have elbow pads, we've got a paramedic in the uh, driveway just in case somebody falls off. I mean, it's a different world right now. We get it, and it's, and we we're glad we have safety and different things like that. But what I started thinking about is there are three things that I remember could happen as I was riding my bike. Um, that were kind of disasters. And one of those was if you got a flat tire. If you had a flat tire, it was bad. If you ended up with a flat tire, you were having to, that bike that was your transportation anywhere, now became your partner that you got to walk around everywhere. Or you just said, forget it, I'm going to ditch the bike and I'll get something later. Okay, that's just, that's just where you were. Um, so you had those flat tires. And that was either um, walk it or leave it was one of those things. And then I know everybody who rode a bike back in the day is going to relate to this. The chain could come off. Okay, right? You remember the chain came off? And no matter who you were, at that moment, everybody became a mechanic. You'd flip that sucker over and put it on its on his uh, handlebars and bike seat, and you would start and you'd try to back it off if you could, but if you had one of those bikes where the brakes kicked back, you couldn't do that, so you'd be like moving it around, and then you'd go ahead and you'd get it, and then you'd start to get it, and you go <laughs> like this. Anybody remember this, okay? Anybody remember that? And just go around, and once you got it on, your hands were all greasy, you're all sweaty, and you were great because you felt like you fixed something, and it was awesome, and you were excited about it, and you, you had that. So that was a bad one. But the worst thing, and it didn't happen too often, you know, usually the chain or the flat tire happened more so, but the one thing that I remember, which was the worst, is if your pedal broke off, and some of you might remember this, your pedal would come loose, and you couldn't get it back on, and so basically what would happen is you had to figure out a way to ride this thing to get where you needed to with the pedal broken off, and so you do this kind of thing. You'd this side had no pedal, and then you'd get on the handlebars, and you bring that one up like this, and you have this leg like sticking off here, because you didn't want to get hit by it, and you would go ahead and you go, ah, ah, remember? Anybody just kicking the one leg, and you'd go, and you'd be riding, and then you'd hope it was downhill. God forbid if it was uphill, because then you'd have to get off and walk, and then you get up to the top, and then, 
uh, again, or if it was the other side, you know, you, maybe this is your workout today. Everybody stand up and do this a little bit and make you feel good. But if you know what I mean, any of those were, were bad, but particularly that last one was worse than any of the others. And it happened infrequently, but man, it was a disaster. I remember one time I, I had a bike and it was my, I wanted to put some BMX um, pedals on it. And I put them on, but it didn't fit. And I was riding and boom, there I was. And all the way home on the other one like this. That's what we did and what we ended up having to do. And so I started to think about our, it's, it's much like this thing of faith and works. That a bicycle was developed and there's a balance. The reason why you have two pedals there is that when one is going around, the other one's resting so it can come back around. And it's a balance that we have here. And this is kind of like this balance that we need because of, between work and faith and how they come together to get us moving in the road of life. But the problem is, if, you, if you've been around church, you've been around people as long as I have, we tend to embrace one area. We tend to embrace that, oh, I just trust that I'm faithful. And, or we say, hey, I'm going to live out everything by my works. And we don't put them together. And we're going through our faith journey with one leg just kicking. And we wonder why we're exhausted. We wonder why our faith just doesn't seem to be getting us anywhere. We wonder why it's just it's not fun anymore to do these things. And so... James is going to describe for us today three lives of faith. Two are uh, negative and one is positive. And then we're going to talk about how to live that out. So let's look at at 2 Corinthians 13 first, where it says, and this is what we're going to do right now today. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So we want to examine ourselves. We, we, many of us maybe feel like we're in the wrong places or maybe we're just frustrated. We feel like we're pedaling with that one foot all over the place. Um, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to have a study session of a quiz before we have to take the ultimate test um, for Christ. And I want to tell you, here's the great thing. God does not want to fail you. He doesn't. He's done everything possible but give you the, uh, he's even giving you the answer. It's, it's Jesus. And, and he's given us the answer in James. It's a, we got a great study guide. It's, it's like the cliff notes or the, the stuff that we need to study in order to go ahead and have the answers. It's faith and works. It's not faith or works. It's together, working together um, to bring that balance in our lives. And many of us have had those teachers that make tests impossible to pass. Like there's no way you're going to pass it. You just want to survive it and jump through that hoop and get to the next one. That's not God. God desires for us to pass the test. And he's done everything possible for us to, to recognize this in our lives and to fulfill it. So again, we are examining our lives here to see where God is calling us. So let's look at these three things here. The first thing that we're going to look at, the first thing here is uh, faith, uh, life, life is faith that is dead, this first lifestyle. Faith that is dead. And that would be, I know this is a hard, hard question, but we're giving it a quiz. Um, that's a dead faith, okay? So that's why a faith that is dead. James 2, 17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. It's dead. It's dead. It's empty. It's out. It's 
there. Now, I got to tell you, that's a pretty direct statement by James. James is not somebody who beats around the bush. Remember, he started this whole thing with our theme verse about, hey, welcome, greetings, boom, boom, boom. By the way, hey, be glad for trials. He just hits you right away. And so he doesn't beat around the bush here. He's pretty much up front. And he's writing to fellow Christians as he calls them brothers and sisters. And so what he says is, if you have faith but don't have actions, it's dead. It's missing something. It's missing the life that's there. John Calvin put it this way. He said, it's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. We need something together um, in that with our faith. We, our faith is what um, makes us right with God, but at some point, that righteousness and goodness of God that's in our lives needs to produce something outside. It's such a travesty. Think about the travesty it would be if Jesus came and preached to several people and it made a difference for them, but it did nothing for them outside in their lifestyle. Um, Jesus said, go and do and be and baptize in my name and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Boom. He said that. What if they just said, I'm good. I've got faith in you. I'm good. Then we would never have the world that we have today. You see, faith without action is empty. It's just a, a shell. Um, it's, just, it's just there. And so there's two expressions that I want to share of a dead faith, if you'll bear with me here. The first thing is lip service and not lifestyle. Lip service and not lifestyle. This is like we talk about it, but we don't do it. You know, I was thinking um, several, several years ago when Melissa and I first started dating, we're talking about 28 um, plus years ago, um, I remember, and I should have brought it today, but I didn't. Um, probably good. I didn't, so I didn't look through it. Um, I think it's somewhere. Um, but when we first started dating, um, I know this may sh shock you, but I, I, I was like, I, I put together a notebook, uh, like, a, like a kind of a scrapbook of us, our early dating. And now my kids are searching the house probably right now to look for this thing. Um, but anyway, um, I had things in there like it would have... Uh, some saved, like a saved paper coaster from a meal that we had, or a, a restaurant um, menu, something, or um, it, it would have some other things. It would have cards and uh, things that we had, letters that we wrote back and forth. They were also, ready for this, poems that I wrote. I wrote some poems. They were pretty bad, but hey, it, it was something that I did. And you know what? There was pictures in there, and, and it was just something that seemed sweet for us, right? To let you know, 28 years later, I ain't doing much of that, if, if at all. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, when I did those things, it was telling Melissa how much she care, I cared, that I care for her. And, you know, Melissa doesn't just come up to me and say, you know, now and go, you know, um, that poem that you wrote me 28 years ago, I got to tell you, man, it really touches my heart still today. No, she doesn't say that because if I just stop there, then I'm missing the point. You know, I can say that I love her and I can say that I, lo that I love my kids. And say, but if I'm not actively living out this relationship and doing things, now, I'm not going to write a poem. Sorry, I'm, uh, I can't do that right now. Maybe I have to now. Who knows? But uh, particularly they were horrible. Um, but anyway, what I'm saying is it was special because it taught them something. And so often lip service that we have is 
that we've, we've said something and say, we talk so much in the church, we use language like this in the church, I was saved at such and so a day. And so you told God, hey, I'm a sinner and I want to accept you as my Savior. And then maybe we've had nothing since that time with him. Look what James um, says in chapter 2, 15. It's not on the screen, but I want to read it to you. He says, suppose a brother or sister goes without clothes and daily food. If you want to, in verse 16, he says, if one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? You know, there's so many people that say, oh, we need to do like Jesus said and feed the poor and clothe the hungry, you know, uh, feed the hungry and clothe the poor and uh, be for those who, who need things. And then somebody comes up right outside, we leave church and said, hey, you know, I'm hungry, you mind getting me something to eat? And we go, sorry, I got to go into Walmart with my mask right now. You know, we forget about that person. And so we talk a good game, but we don't live it out. And James is saying, hey, we've got to do something here about that. You gotta, you don't just say, hey, you're hungry? <laughs> okay, God bless you. Go be fed. Go, go get some food. I'm going to pray for you. No, get him something to eat, right? It's, it's, it, he's saying put it into action, into action. I remember I was at a pastor's conference out in a big church in Chicago called Salem Baptist Church. It's around Comiskey area. And there was a pastor there, James Meeks. And I was there at the time. And they took us to this old historic Polish Catholic Church that now was Salem Baptist Church, and Salem Baptist Church um, is a predominantly African-American church. Um, it, in the overflow room, on a Wednesday night prayer service, they had 500 people in the overflow room. It's a big, massive church and a massive uh, ministry in the area. And the pastor started talking to us, and he started his service by saying, welcome to Salem Baptist Church, the greatest church in the world. And I was like, mm, man, this guy's got some swagger and stuff. And we got a chance to talk to him. And in the midst of the service, I remember, this is a prayer service on Wednesday night, packed. They had had um, worship before, and now they were at this point. And he stood up there, and he had a legal pad and a microphone. And he'd say, people were worshiping and praying and he'd say, and, and uh, singing, and he'd say, um... Who, who needs a job? If you need a job, you just lost your job, uh, come on down right now. And people would come down, like 10 people would come. He'd lean over, he'd listen to them, and he'd look at somebody and go, here, and he'd get somebody else, and he'd go, um, we have a machinist. Anybody have a need for a machinist? Somebody in the back would go, hey, I need one, and, or a couple of them, and he'd say, okay, you guys go over here, we're going to put you together. And we were sitting, there's like maybe 50 to 100 pastors, and we're sitting there like, like this. Then he would say, who's been evicted? Who's, who's been kicked out of their house? And a number of people came in. He goes, he has like three or four people here. And he goes, okay, um, these two uh, just received the notice. We're going to work with them to get that paid off. And then he said, um, this person is out uh, because they haven't paid rent. We're taking them out of eviction tonight. We're going to get them set up, going to get them um, all caught up, going to get them a house. Gonna get... And we were all sitting there. And I remember after everything with the service and he preached for a while, I remember everybody, all the pastors wanted to know, how in the world do you do that? And I remember his words were very important. He said, how can I tell people about the love of Christ in this community 
when there's so much poverty and there's so much, so many issues, how can I tell them to get off of addiction and drugs? How can I feed them? How can I get them? How can I have them fed and say, "Go be fed"? If I don't do something and make it happen, and for me, that's always stuck in my head. And I got to tell you, thank you to you. Because of what you give, we are able to reach people in our community and change lives and help people with every kind of thing. And that is awesome. Some of the, some of the giving that you've been able to do to, um, to help us in the COVID time to reach out to our first responders and just tell them that they're loved and cared about. Just the things that there are, are people who are in need and we're able to help them in many different ways. That is exciting. That is exactly what James is talking about. It's not lip service. It's faith. In action. The next thing that we see is this so, um, about dead faith that you have leaves, not fruit. Leaves, not fruit. In other words, it looks good. It looks, looks really, really good. Like, for instance, we are, we, we're good at this in the United States. We are good about dressing in our Sunday best and coming to church. And life could be a disaster all week, but we will look good. And when it comes to that point in the song, we even get the, the worship face. You know, that kind of, kind of, we got it. We're like, mm, yeah, we, we, we got it. But meanwhile, meanwhile, everything is kind of a mess. It's like I used to always struggle with this section of scripture where Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 11 where he's hungry and he comes across the fig tree and he sees the fig tree and he gets to it and there's no figs on it. And Jesus curses the fig tree. I'm like, what in the world? But what Jesus is telling us there, it's a lot like, like us, that we may have on the outer deal, we may look really, really good, but there's no fruit. You see, the purpose of a, of a fig tree, and it was a time of figs to bear fruit, they were in season, it had none. And for him, he's like, the fig tree is only a fig tree if it has what? Figs. And so for him, it wasn't part of the purpose that was there. It was something that should have been done and should have been lived out. But it's not. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7 that a good tree bears good fruit. Three times James says, faith without works is dead. And so many of us think our religion's going to save us or that the fact, you, one of the things I deal with a lot of times is I'll meet people who will say, oh, you're a pastor? My great-grandfather was a pastor. And I'm like, well, great for him. What about you? You know, I mean, we, we rely on other things to save us, and it doesn't. And the last one, and this one may be a little bit difficult to hear, a faith that is deceived, a faith that is deceived. James says in chapter 19, you believe, and listen how, how upfront and harsh James can be here. He says, you believe there is one God. <laughs> Good. And so if you read that at first, you're like, yes. And he says, guess what? Even the demons believe, and they shudder. And so if you believe that there's one God, but aren't doing any, that's not flowing out of you to, to put the action together, then you're no better than demons is what James is saying there. Good job, but then he cuts the legs right out from, uh, from under us right there. In Mark chapter 5, one of the, my, my, I say this every week, but one of my favorite accounts in scripture is Jesus in the Gadara area where he comes across a man who is demon possessed. And, um, and so, I'm always amazed by this story, and there's so many facets of this, but the demons, when you read this story, the demons, when Jesus comes in, and they say, whoa, what have you come to torture us at the previous time? The demons under, in the man, the legion of demons, understood, who knew who Jesus was. Like, for instance, just to let you know, there are no atheistic demons. 
There is not one atheistic demon. They all know who Jesus is. Every single one of them. And, but, and so there's a total fear of who Jesus is because they understand who he is. But there's also this disgust of where they wanted to go. You see, they believed in him, but they said, can you throw us into the pigs so that we can go ahead into the pigs and go off the cliff and die? I heard one pastor one time say, this is the first reference to deviled ham. I didn't write it. I thought it was pretty funny uh, myself. Uh, you'll get it later, all right? So, but here he is. They go in. They know who Jesus is, but nothing in them changes to follow him. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They reference that, but still, it doesn't change their behavior. They actually get more erratic. And there's many of us that walk around like James is saying, you believe in God. That's great. People say, I believe in God. I believe in God. But it's not changing anything in us. And there are three signs of a deceived faith that we have, and they're also in your bulletin. The first one is what we've been talking about, a knowledge of God, a knowledge of Christ, but no change. We know who God is and what he is, but there's no desire to change anything in my life. Actually, a lot of times people don't want to follow Christ because they feel like he's going to change something. And he's always going to change something for the better. Um, And so we're not going to do anything differently. Not anything differently at all. The second one is a little bit harder, um, that there's no love for Jesus. And I want to say this. Jesus did not die on the cross to make things better for us. That's not what he did. He died on the cross to have a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with you. God loves you and wants to do anything to have a relationship with his kids. i got to tell you, uh, in thinking about this, this section that I wrote down here as a note, I started thinking... Um, I, over the years of ministry, I have met people who've had conflicts um, with their children. I re- remember one person who had such a conflict with one child. Um, her husband died, and then after the funeral, one of the children started telling her that she needed to, uh, to bridge the gap between um, her other child. And then so what she ended up doing, cut off the relationship with her other child. And I thought, I cannot imagine the pain that would be in my life if I didn't have a relationship with my children. You know, I mean, yeah, we're, we've, been, we've been locked up in a house for a while. We get on each other's nerves, just telling you. Um, but I love my kids, and I can't imagine ever, ever having a moment where they would just cut me out of their lives or, or I would cut them out of their lives. Jesus is the same way. He said, I would do anything if I could to have a good relationship with my children. And God wants to do the same thing and has done the same thing. And the third thing that we have here is this, rebellion with no repentance. And there are times where, and this is where we just do stuff and we don't care. And I've often had people come up to me and say, well, what if, what if I don't make it? What if, what if I, you know, I think I love God and I, and I want to serve him, but he returns and I'm not going to go because I'm not. And I always say to them, well, obviously you don't have to worry because you're worried about it. You're concerned about it, so that tells me you love God and you want to go ahead and make sure that happens. And, and so what we find out is rebellion without repentance often, often leads to a justification. Okay, I'm doing this, and I know that God doesn't like it, but, and we often justify our, our behavior since that's what happens. So these are kind of like the areas that we, we stay in several of the times. But what I want to do with the remainder time we have is um, we want to look at the third area. The third area is a faith that is vibrant, a faith that is alive and active. And in James um, 2.22, he says this. He says, you see that his faith and his actions 
were working together and his faith was complete by what he did. Who is he? He's talking about Abraham. Abraham here. And what we learn from the scripture is Abraham was justified by faith. You can go, we spent a whole series on um, running with the big dogs where we talked about the uh, hall of faith. Um, and Abraham's talked about it. It says he was justified by faith. So his rightness with God was done through faith. But what James tells us is that it, may, it was made complete. In faith. It's like the faith got that one pedal going, but he needed the action in balance to complete the faith and make the ride that much better. It's faith and works. And so what was the thing that Abraham did? Abraham followed God, followed him and started going. But the point that I think Abraham's faith and actions came in together, because God said, you're going to be, I'm changing your name because you're going to be the father of many. And he said, all right, don't know how that's going to happen. I'm 100 years old, but hey, let's go for it. All right. So this is what happens. Then he has Abraham. Okay, we can talk about Ishmael as a whole other sermon. But he has Isaac, the child of promise, who's about in his 20s. And God says, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to go sacrifice him. And here's where Abraham's faith becomes action here. Because there was a time where he had to trust, okay, God, I trust in you. That is my faith. I believe in you. But you said I'm going to be the father of many. But this is my son who you gave the promise to. But now you're telling me to go sacrifice him. And Abraham had to collect the wood. He had to go. And he went there, and it ended up he was getting ready to sacrifice his son. And God stopped it and said, now I see. The angel of the Lord said, now I see that you won't withhold anything from me. That your faith is made complete in your actions. You see, faith is obeying in spite of consequences. That I will trust, no matter what, because my faith is is vibrant. And so when we have a vibrant faith, how do we get that vibrant faith? And that's what we're going to spend the remainder of the time here doing today. So what do we do? Three things. Okay, I feel like it's a traditional uh, message. Three things. All pastors like things in three. Okay, James chapter 2, 17 through 18 said, in the same way, faith by itself, um, with, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. The great uh, evangelist Charles Spurgeon said, the grace that does not change my life will not change my soul. The grace and faith that does not change my life will not change my soul. So if my life is not different, what's really going on inside? And all of us may have had an inner experience. Everybody in the sound of my voice may have had some kind of inner experience with Christ. We have said, ask Jesus into your heart, ask Jesus into your heart, ask Jesus into your heart. But that may not have been displayed on the outside. And so I started thinking again about some of the, the faith and action journeys that I've had. And I really, and some of you have heard this, I know, um, just go with me. Because it, to me, it's, it's, it's so real about God's, God's call and um, my, my fear of acting. Of, of acting on it, was when I was with the United Methodist Church, and that's where I had been with my whole entire life. Loved the United Methodist Church, gave me my, um, all the stuff I needed early in life to have the faith that I, that I have today. So I appreciate 
my upbringing in the United Methodist Church. And I became a pastor in the United Methodist Church. And then all of a sudden, in the mid-90s, late, well, actually late 90s, um, early 2000s, mid-2000s, there was a big push to start new churches. And God just kind of kicked me in different areas where I, I wasn't looking for it, but it found me. And it just started being placed on my heart. And so I started thinking about some of that struggle that I, that I had in the early days of having this, this call and seeing other people plant churches and even mentioning that to some of the leadership in the church, but them kind of saying, no, that's, we, we like you here. We want you to go here, here, here. And I was obedient to that, but yet feeling this in my spirit that God is calling me to do something. So hold on to that. We'll come back. You see, because vibrant faith there's three, three things. Vibrant faith steps out. It steps out. See, Abraham had a point in his life where he had this faith. Yeah, he went ahead, heard the call of God, began to go ahead and walk out with his family, go to a land that he didn't know, a land that was promised, go ahead, grab everybody there. And that was part of the step of faith. But to take his only son, the son, and to set out on that day and to say, let's go to a mountain and let's get the servants and let's get the wood and let's get the fire and let's get the knife and your own son to say uh dad um got the fire got the wood see you got the knife uh we're missing something here where's the sacrifice and to be able to with faith while he's heading up the mountain to sacrifice the son to say jehovah jireh god will provide you know, see, there's some of us who have had faith in theory, but we're struggling right now. We're struggling in our, in our journey, and we're walking in a place that we don't think we'd be, and we're in an area where we don't, never thought we'd end up, and we're headed toward a direction where we're wondering what's going on. Can you imagine what's going on in Abraham's mind? Man, God, what in the world is going on? But he said, hey, Regardless of what happens, I'm going to be obedient and trust in you. And I know, God, that you're going to be true to your word. And you're going to go ahead and continue. What about Peter? Simon Peter. I love the story of him walking on the water. And Jesus said to every single one of them, come on. Only one person got out. For Peter, everybody could have said, whew, that's Jesus. Yeah, I could do that. But there's only Peter was the only one who took his foot off, stepped into the water, and began to walk, and began to walk, and began to walk to Jesus. Until he decided to say, well, I am not supposed to be doing this. And when he started to look at the wind and the waves, then he started to sink. Some of you on your journey may have, not, may have been like the other disciples. That God's calling you to something that is a, a tough area of your faith and action, and yet you don't want to leave the safety of the boat. Others may be like Simon Peter. You stepped out, you're walking, and you're getting in the middle of this, and you say, wait a second, I'm not supposed to be here, God, and you start to sink. You've got to trust him. Abraham went all the way through. For me, I was, I was just thinking about everything I knew. Everything I understood, everything that I was who I uh, was and who I am had 
in, in the church had come from the United Methodist Church. I was comfortable in the system. I had gotten a large appointment, you know, because pastors like to do that too. Oh, I've got a large appointment. I'm at this such and so. And there's, there's some of that ego stuff that's there. All this stuff was there, and I knew that, hey, the next level was a bigger church. The next level what could have been leadership in the church universe. I saw that path. And it was appealing because it was safe and because, hey, that's what God called you to do. But meanwhile, you have God calling you in the back to say, Jack, do you trust me? I still remember, as I shared before, Bill Sammons, who said to me, Jack, your faith's not in the Free Methodist Church, it's in God. And what I realized is I was trying to put faith in other people's stuff and have everything set up but still do this journey. And when I did that, God said, whoop, nope. You're going to trust in me. And I got to tell you, I had to leave everything I knew to step into the open. Knowing the statistics that within four years, most church starts fail. Not even knowing that our culture would end up in an area where, where it's come to that God is like way over here and isn't a focal point of our culture anymore. That some people could care less about God. And I started to think about the woman with the issue of blood. She had such an issue of bleeding that it says she suffered under doctor's cares for many years, which is in, all the, in, in every account about it is in the gospel except for Luke because Luke was a doctor. So he didn't write that in there. But she suffered. And when she heard Jesus was there, by the Jewish law, she was bleeding and should have said, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean, everywhere she went. So people got away. But she said, if I just can reach the hem of his garment. And just so you know, the hem is not up here. It's at the bottom. So here is this broken, bleeding, poor, outskirts, unclean person in society who is crawling in the dirt and the dust with people all around Jesus, probably stepping on her, kicking her, whatever. She's just there. Because her faith told her, if I just reach it, she believed that, but belief, her faith became complete, and the healing occurred when she reached out and touched him. And Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, are you crazy? You see all these people here? He said, no, I felt power go out for me. Because her faith came together with action, and that brought the healing. Some of you today have a faith in God, and I don't question that. And you believe something for God, but you need to do something. To move toward God so that your healing can occur in your life. We all need to step out is what I'm saying. We all need to step out for Christ. So where I don't know what your step out is. It may be that you have a broken relationship and you need to do something. You need to write a letter to someone. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and just call somebody you haven't talked to in a while because something that you don't even know, you need to say, I'm going to step out and put pride aside. Maybe you've been called to lead a small group and you're like, hey, it's going to be real small because we've got to be six feet away from each other and we can't have that many of you here. But hey, maybe you're saying, hey, I want to lead something. I'm going to be part of a small group. You need, there's just something that God is laying on your heart to do. And you may be at a point like me that after... I Just to, to let you know, long story short, once I left where people looked and appreciated me as a fellow pastor in the United Methodist Church, I had other people. They now did not like me. They now I was a traitor. And then finding out that that umbrella that I thought I had was just missed in the air. 
and wondering what I was going to do and feeling that sense of loneliness and loss. That what I thought at the time was the end of my influence in ministry was only the beginning because God is good and he's faithful. In James 2.21, it says, Was not our, Ab- uh, our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Number two, vibrant faith not only steps out, but it speaks out. It speaks out. And I think we're in a time where we've been way too silent about our faith. And way too silent. And so I want to take you to somebody we also talked about. If you want to hear more about this, we did a whole sermon in the Big Dogs about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute and a Gentile. She has no reason for us to be talking about this. Um, But she is here and talked about by James and also in, um, in Hebrews because her faith made a difference in her life and ultimately, it made such a difference in her, with her actions, how she spoke out, that she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. See, there was a time where Rahab needed to speak out. James says this in 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute, not Abraham anymore, Father Abraham, but Rahab, the drag of society, the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. What we're talking about is Jericho. When the spies came in to check, she hid them, protected them. And what did she say? Let's go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. And it says, she says this to them. She heard about everything they're doing. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us. And she later says, for the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and below. And she says, guess what? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a red cord out. You saved me and my people. I helped save you and hide you and send you in a different direction. Remember me. So that when you destroy everything in Jericho, you save me. And you go ahead. You see, some of us have reached a time where we need to speak out. Some of us think, some of us need to say right now to ourselves, because we're tired of saying, ah, enough of these four walls. Ah, enough of this stuff, and I'm guilty of it. We need to say, man, it's going to get better. Or, you know, there's too much negative in my life right now. God is working no matter what we see. You see, when I left the United Methodist Church, I was afraid. I was hurting. I felt alone. I said, maybe I should just quit ministry altogether. Then I said, I I, I longed, I I started saying, did I make a mistake? What did I do? I had people saying, I actually had people, Christian people say to me, what are you doing, Jack? That's like career suicide. And it got into my spirit and it started to, to say things to me and I, I was hurting and I was, I was lost and I felt like, just, why, don't, why bother? And what I learned I had to do is I had to start surrounding myself and speaking, God, this is what you promised. God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what your plan is. I'm not even sure anymore if this is your plan. I had a superintendent that looked at me and says, what if it fails? Superintendent from the United Methodist Church looked me in the eye who said, what happens if your plan fails? And I remember at that point, that hit every part of my vulnerability, every part of my fear. And I had to speak something that God gave me at the time because Jack didn't have any answers. And I looked at her and I said, 
if it fails, then God is going to lead me elsewhere because I truly believe he's called me to this. But let me tell you, in those stages, I was afraid. I was scared. But I had to speak. And I had, I had faith that this is what God did. I believe this is what God wanted me to do. But the action had to come through speaking up. You see, this is the first steps that we're talking about. We're not talking about 50 steps. We're talking about the first steps. And so some of the first steps you may need to do is you may need to just look at somebody that you've had conflict with. Look at somebody who you just haven't done in a while. Look them in the eyes and say, stop everything. I just want to tell you, I love you. And you mean the world to me. Just do that today. Or you may have a coworker. You know that coworker that's kind of annoying you a little bit? And you may just need to look at them and say this. I appreciate you. And I know what you're saying now. What if you don't? <laughs> okay, God does, but don't tell him. Hey, I don't like you very much, but God appreciates you. Don't do that. Okay, but what I want you to do is just to go ahead and say, you know, if we're supposed to be like God, say, I, I really appreciate you. And see what happens in there. You see, vibrant pray, faith also speaks out. And it what does it speak out? It declares what God says. It declares what God says. Number three. I hope everybody's good. Here we go. Number three. Vibrant faith not only steps out and not only speaks out, but it works out. And I'm not talking about like, you know, aerobics, okay? I'm not talking about that. It works out. It Working out your salvation, working out those things in your life. As we talk about a violent faith, I want to go back real quick, one thing. Um, a, vi- uh, a vibrant faith um, speaks out, and there's one section that I'd be remiss if I didn't add here, because I think that somebody in the sound of my voice is feeling like you're done. You're kind of had enough. Um, I've talked to many people this week who are just tired, and, and what are they tired of? Being sick and tired. And I thought about Jesus on the cross. And he was surrounded by, he had thieves on his side, and I remember the one thief is like, hey, why don't you send us down? He, you know, he was just didn't believe. He didn't have faith. But the other thief is there dying. And he says, hey, I'm going to have faith to believe in who you are. But his faith spoke out when he said, remember me today? And you go into paradise, remember me. And some of you got to start with this speaking out today. You got to say, God, my life is a mess. I'm broken. I have loss around me. I have, I have uh, financial strains. I'm tired of this COVID thing. I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of uh, people in my house. I'm tired of it all. And God, just please remember me. And here's the thing. He will. He will remember you. You know why? Because he never forgot you. It may seem like he did, but he never forgets you. And so I just needed to say that today too. Vibrant faith works out. That's our next thing. And what I mean by work out, it is a process. Working out is a process. You see, Rahab agreed to that. She spoke out, and then she came up with a plan. Okay, I'm going to hang this cord out the window. When you see it, that's my household. Tell everybody so they don't kill us because of what we did. And then she goes ahead, and as that's going on, she looks and she sees people marching around the city. And clapping and walking around and she says and they blow a trumpet once and then they go home and she goes all right they forget me then another day it comes around boom they go ahead they're, woo, yeah, they're walking around and they go home this happens for several days 
You think she was probably wondering, wow, did they forget? You think she was worried? You think she said, I'm just going to, well, maybe they, we can defeat that. Maybe I should just pull the cord in. She begins to wonder and to even doubt. You see, in my, in my situation, I wondered in the midst of that early days, God, is this really going to happen? Is anything going to be done? When I went to the hospital to visit someone who was from a previous um, church that I was at, and I was in the area, so I stopped by, and I walked in, and they, another pastor was there who was with the United Methodist Church. And I'll never forget this. He, I, I, after he was done, I waited in the hall, and I said, hey. And he looked at me and kind of looked down at me. He said, I know about you. I said, uh-oh, that could be a lot of things. What do you know about? And I remember he looked at me and he said, you know, we had a meeting about you. I said, you did? He said, yes, me, superintendents, you're a former associate, all people who said they loved me and cared about me. He said, We're, we know what you're trying to do. And you know what the thing was? They didn't. They didn't know me. They didn't know God's call on my life. My life would have been easier if I just was a good soldier and did that. But I'm not, I, for me, the faith was I believed in what God said, and the action was painful at times. It was watching the Israelites, who you made disagreement with, go around the wall and saying, Yahoo, what about me? Time and time again. And I wondered what was going to happen. Because faith is filled when we step out, when we speak out, and when we work out, and when we be the change that God calls. And that's why James says in chapter 2, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Our faith is what we believe in, but it needs to be accompanied by something that shows the world that God cares and is alive. And so every, each and every day, I am in awe that the fact that God still uses a jackass to bring his kingdom together like he did in the Old Testament. He does it every week and you're listening to him now. I, didn't, I, I thought I understood the plan. I had no clue what it was like to be from a, what I thought was a supportive area and then to have such loss in my life and to struggle with that for, for several years and to the point where I got to see God say, I told you, I told you, just trust in me, trust in me. You see in Philippians, Paul says, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the very beginning. And church, I got to tell you, you are putting your faith in action more than any church I've ever been part of. And he says, when I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience, and now that I am separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation reverent and sensitive before God. What am I saying? Some of us need to redouble our efforts. Need to kick it up even more. Even more. It's fun. 
It's fun when our faith is in action, right? Isn't it fun? Ask those people who served this week along with, yes, with 319 uh, children. I guarantee you, there was something in your faith that just slept. I know from from reading and hearing what, what Beth felt that her faith went, yes, and I know for her that God called her to do this, and that, and that, went, that, that went to an area that she never thought it could be. But she's faithful. And each and every time we serve something, each and every time we answer the call of faith of God and put into action, lives are changed. So redouble our effort. Some of us need to add some effort in our life and be energetic in our life of salvation, reverently and sensitively. Before God. James wants to remind us. Stop doing faith like this. It's a lot of effort. It's not fun. I believe. I believe. Here comes a hill. I believe. Let me get off the wall. Jesus wants us to. You know. Yes we're going to have hills. But man. The ride is much more enjoyable. With the two pedals. One of faith. One of action and works. And there you have a smoother ride than you ever would before. Amen? All right. All right. Good. So, all right, everybody. We're going to have our, our closing worship song today. I'll come back and give you uh, a fairly well, like, see you later. Um, and so let's have some of that vibrant faith right now. And as we read these stories of Abraham and of Rahab and of all the big heroes of faith and the people who went ahead and put their faith and saw it in action, One song came to my head this week, and I said, God, our world right now needs you to do it again. God, when you remove plagues and you remove pestilence and you you freed your people, Israel, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And my faith is, yes, you're going to do it again, and my action needs to display that. And so right now, I just ask where you stand, where you are. Let's worship him and say, God, do it again and believe in him, and then Go ahead and say, what do you need me to do in order to make it happen? Let's go. Let's worship the Lord. Do it again. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never
started um, with about walking around these walls. Um, how, how awesome. I'm sure that's what Rahab was thinking. Man, they're walking around these walls. I thought 
it would happen. And then that one day, she just kept leaving that cord out there, kept leaving it out. And that day in God's time, bam, she and her whole family were saved, and she's in the lineage. A prostitute, a Gentile prostitute in the lineage of our Lord. How, how awesome is our God? And we know, uh, man, I've seen you move. We saw it. You moved the mountains, and I believe to, uh, you'll do it again. Believe and put it into action. You know, the Red Sea didn't open if Moses didn't obey God and what he needed to do. What is the action that God's calling you to do? Next week, believe it or not, it is Mother's Day. Mother's Day uh, already. Isn't that wild? It is Mother's Day. And again, unless uh, some miracle happens, I guess we'll be like this again. So I hope you uh, celebrate a, a great Mother's Day um, and uh, maybe send a gift through a uh, Amazon, um, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is awesome, um, which I know many of us have done uh, several times or some other means, send flowers or something. But next week, it's a very fitting message. We're gonna, James is going to teach us something that our mothers have taught us from the beginning of times. The th title of the sermon is going to be Watch Your Mouth. Uh, watch Your Mouth. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. And so uh, some of you are already figuring out how you can avoid next week's sermon. Um, but make sure you're here. We're going to talk about watching our mouth. Have a great week. Um, have a, enjoy the day, the 75 degree weather that we're supposed to get. And um, ultimately, just trust in him and let God go ahead and, and move the mountains in your life through having faith and putting together with your deeds. Thank you for all you do. Again, thank you for your giving. Um, you can go ahead and do that uh, now if you haven't already done that. But most of all, may you just connect deeper to Jesus Christ. We love you. Have a great week. God bless.